And brothers and sisters, welcome to another episode of the Sharing Time Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sean Rapier, and with me as always is, can I say the lovely and talented, the lovely and talented Ken Craig. <laughs> well, that is, that's my favorite introduction I've ever heard from me. That might have to become a permanent one, because if there are two <laughs> words that uh, that uh, describe Ken Craig, it is definitely lovely and talented. Oh, you and, are too generous, my friend. And of course, we always have the most amazing guests on the show. And this week, we have really topped ourselves. She is an internationally well-known author, a literal best-selling author. She is a speaker and one of the brightest lights that I know. Heidi Tucker, welcome to the show. Thank you. So good to be here with Sean Ken. Can we say that? Sean Ken. Yeah, that's <laughs> our, power that's couple. our, our <laughs> Hollywood power couple. <laughs> <laughs> We really couldn't have much of a name, you know, with uh, how short our names are. Sean Ken. Uh, yeah. Sean if there's Ken. not. Sean Ken. Sean Ken. Boy, is there anything less attractive than Sean Ken? Con. <laughs> Con. The wrath of Con it That's is. Right. So, <laughs> Heidi, we're so thrilled that you're here with us. Uh, we're going to get into a topic that I'm excited to get your thoughts on because I think it's something that. You talk about a lot and that, you know, you, as soon as I thought of this topic, you were the first person that came to mind. But first of all, tell us all about all of your awesome books and a little bit about who you are, where you live and what you do. I um, love to write true stories of people that rise up from difficulties that are so incredible that you say, this has got to be it for them. You know, like how can they go on? And then we watch them stand up and take a step forward and rise up to make a difference in the world. I love to read those kind of stories. And those are the kind of books that I write. And uh, my, I started my journey with finding hope in the journey. And um, hope is kind of a theme that runs through every book and every speaking event that I'm at. And that went into Servi's song, which is a, a story of a beautiful woman from Zimbabwe who um, moves to the United States, loses a number of her children. And it's her uh, incredible journey of finding faith and the ability to hang on through that and provide for her children who are suffering. Um, let's see. The Secret Keepers is a story of a woman who was abused um, so terribly as a child that her beautiful, healthy mind split into what's known as dissociative identity disorder. And that's the true story of her life. Uh, Bridge of Miracles is Amram Masungu. He sang, he, he was with the, the Tabernacle Choir for 12 years. He You talk about a light. Oh my gosh, he is a light, a shining light in the world. And his story is unbelievable coming from, uh, from a barefoot boy in the largest slum in Nairobi, Kenya, to moving to the United States, singing with the choir. I mean, all the work that he's done, he is a missionary times a hundred. And it's just an incredible story of how does a boy get from poverty to eventually running for the president of Kenya in 2017. Just an incredible story. And then I'm about to release it is sometime this spring. We're just doing the finishing touches. No title yet, but it's the story of two people who, a husband and wife who escaped from North Korea. Wow. And that is incredible. So incredible. Yeah, I can't wait for everyone to see that. 
And just as a reminder for our audience, I'm working on a book about Disneyland and Ken, Ken wrote a book about snacks. So <laughs> um, <laughs> equally impressive. Ken's book is phenomenal, by the way. However, I, Heidi, you amaze me. And I will just put in a plug. All your books are phenomenal. But if I could just say, I have such a special place in my heart for The Secret Keepers. Yeah. That book touched my soul. I mean, that book, I remember being awake at two o'clock in the morning going, I just can't put it down and stopping so many times and looking at my wife and going, how is this real? You wouldn't write it as a movie plot because yeah. there's just so much to it. And then such a story of love and companionship and and terrible things and overcoming and talk about resilience, which maybe that's, I mean, I think with Servi and with you know, secret keepers and I mean, all of it. Resilience plays a big role in hope, as you mentioned. And yeah. I cannot, I can't put in a big enough plug for your, uh, your books. They're all just amazing. So thank you. I appreciate that. And you're coming to us from Arizona right now, where it's yeah. not snowing, <laughs> not snowing. It's, it's snowing for me and Ken right now. So yeah. we're a little bit jealous of that. But We're having I, to be resilient ourselves right now <laughs> for your next book idea, Heidi. <laughs> winter in Utah. Just be yeah. Resilient. <laughs> yeah, winter in Utah. One man's uh, journey with rear wheel drive. Yeah, that's that's about as as resilient as I get. And that's our topic tonight is resilience. And uh, we've got some of our audience chimed in that we we want to share uh, some of their thoughts. But Heidi, you, I think that's why you came to mind is, you know, you you seem to love stories with people who are specifically resilient yeah. because they come through at the end. What is it about resilience that that attracts you to want to tell those stories? Or I should say, what role does resilience play in the stories you like to tell? Um, I think that I'm attracted to that because when we read the details of someone else's story, and if I can write them in a way that you feel their story, then I think what you do in your mind is you change the details to your own life. And you say it by, you know, at the end, when they sort of stand up and are able to accomplish what they do in each story, you say to yourself, okay, if they can do that, then I can do this. I can, I can do my own story. I can stand up through these, these difficulties in my life and work through it. I can keep trying. I can, you know, make a difference in what I'm trying to do. And so I'm just, I feel like they're so, they've always been so motivational to me. And so my job as an author of nonfiction inspirational stories is I need to find the words to tell that story so that it comes to life for the reader and that you absolutely feel their story so much that you are moved to change your own story. Mm, wow. I love that. Yeah. I. So what's the difference? I mean, and Ken, maybe you've got a thought on this, but what's the difference between resilience and survival? I mean, is there a difference? Like to me, resilience feels like more of an active Whereas survival is something that just may may or may not happen. You know, I survived it <laughs> versus primal. being resilient. I mean, any thoughts on the difference? Ken? Me? Gosh. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think I I think uh 
I mean, I am not, uh, I haven't done any study in this, but viscerally, just hearing you talk about it, I think that's, for me, the uh, resilience is kind of more of an intentional, intentional or deliberate choice. Mm. And maybe, maybe a survival comes down. Survival almost feels a little bit uh, desperate. Like maybe some desperation. Yeah, some reaction. Ooh, I like that. Active yeah. versus, so resilient is active. I'm going to bounce back. Yeah. Survival. Is, is reactive. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. or, or non-reactive. I'm just going to play dead and see if I wake up tomorrow. Okay. You know, it's yeah. funny because we, you know, we've, we've adopted six kids. We have eight kids total and, and our kids put us through like some pretty impressive things. Not that anybody survives parenthood without going through a lot, <laughs> but people, it's funny because people will say, wow, I don't know how you guys did it. And I was like, well, like, what was the alternative? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, once we adopted them, you know, well, there was no, like, <laughs> the, I don't know. How, I guess I don't know how to answer that because they go, wow, I don't think I could have done it. Well, you don't what, know what you, you can do until you're in it, right? Yeah. 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 But also, I didn't know there was an alternative. If I had <laughs> known there was something else I was able to do, yeah. maybe I wouldn't have gone through it. So, you know what? Yeah, the, uh, guys, I looked up the definition of resilience. And it, it is the ability of a person to adjust to or recover readily from illness, adversity, major life changes, et cetera. That makes sense, right? And then I love, there's a, like a semicolon, and then I love the word after that in the dictionary, and it says buoyancy. Mm. And I love the visual of that, right? Because if in the, in the visual act of buoyancy, your head is above water, but you're kicking like crazy under the surface, right? <laughs> <laughs> For everything you're worth. Oh, that is so brilliant, yeah. Heidi. Your legs are kicking. And so I think that shows that resilience is work. And it probably appears to everybody else like you're just buoyant, right? Yeah. What's going on above water looks... Looks good. We make it yeah. look good above yeah. the water. <laughs> I, I, It'll be interesting this summer. I've lost a lot of weight over the last year. It'll be interesting to see how buoyant I am uh, <laughs> come this summer. I'm afraid I'm going to sink like a rock. It used to be yeah. really, really easy to float. But that, I love that thought that, you know, we don't see people's resilience. You know, we don't we don't understand it. To me, do, do you guys get that feeling of sometimes everybody else is resilient and I'm not, I'm not because I know I'm complaining. I know I'm whining. I know I'm, yeah. you know, I'm the guy who, you know, walking up to church, you know, I'm telling my wife, you know, why are we going to, I don't want to go to this tonight. Gosh, we got other things to do. This is ridiculous. This is stupid. Walk in the door. Hey, good to see you all. And so it's but, buoyancy, Sean. <laughs> 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 Will you start calling me Chef Bui RD? <laughs> um, I, you know, and but I feel like look at everybody else. Look at everyone else around. They don't go through what I through. You know, I'm terrible. Everybody else is so strong. Do you guys ever get that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Heidi. Like I can't imagine you feeling. Like, you know, you seem to me to always put off the, the you know, the positive. Do you go uh -huh. through those times where you have to drag yourself out of it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
I had, I had a, I had a, I call them face plants. We all have face plants, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and my face plant for, for 2022 was an episode of vertigo that um, was so bad. I couldn't get out of a chair. Mm. Oh my gosh. So I have a little bit of vertigo all the time and, and that's cool. I've learned to deal with it, but uh, this was, I just rolled over one morning in bed and, and the whole room just went like a merry-go-round, right? And it's just spinning uncontrollably. And I had that uh, for four or five days. I couldn't get out of the spin. It was it was pretty brutal. And uh, until I found a, ther- a physical therapist, a, vest- a vestibular therapist, to be exact, who positioned my head and put me, contorted <laughs> my head and my inner ear to a position where he could get me out of that spin. If anyone had walked in on that therapy session, the police would have been called because it was, pretty, <laughs> it was briefly, right? it was really ugly, really oh my ugly. Gosh. Yeah. And that, um, it took me a while. It took a while for my brain to sort of recover from that, even though, um, he got the crystal out of the the tube that in my eustachian tubes that w- that where it was stuck. He got it out of there, but it took a while for my brain and my inner ear to heal from that. So it was it was rough coming out of that, and I was just wow. like, "What's what's the lesson, Heavenly Father? What's yeah. the lesson I'm supposed to learn from this?" And I decided it was that I needed to slow down a little bit, which I did. Mm. It, it was a forced slowdown, you know. Um, I can go speak to a conference of 600 people. And if I have the flu, I can fake it. I can fake it through that conference. But if I have, um, if I have vertigo, I'm out. Mm. You can't fake that. Yeah. You're, 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 I, I have no idea what that's like. I've never had vertigo. Oh. I, I, but I, but I don't think I could handle it. And I think there's a gospel principle there. Where, you know, we, we feel like we get the challenges that maybe we can, we can handle. Although I get a lot of challenges that I go, I can't handle that one either. <laughs> it, I, you think, know. I think that's going back to what you were saying, Sean, where when you're in the, when you're in the middle of, of something that is requiring resilience and you look around and you think, why is everybody else either they've got it easy or they're just way more resilient than I am? Cause I can't. How am I, how's this ever going to change? Right. Or how am I going to get out of this ditch? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it, yeah, there've been, there've been times, uh, I think for all of us, but, uh, it certainly, it certainly makes you reflect on, oh yeah, there were times where I thought, I think I'm at my max. I think I've met the threshold of what I'm capable of. And wow, it seems a lot lower than everybody else's threshold. <laughs> I think everybody feels that way, right? Heidi, how did you guys yeah. teach your kids resilience? You know, um, I like to I like to talk to them about. There's three things that I focus on really for for resilience that I that I hope that my children have, have taken from me. Um, the first the first step is to always find gratitude. I think in any situation of your life, you can still find gratitude. There have been situations in my life where I could not. Um, I almost couldn't pray. I was so angry. Mm. And, but I, but I decided that I could, I could do gratitude prayers. And so for a while, that's all it was, was I'm grateful for a pillow. 
I'm grateful for a hot water heater so that mm. I can take a, a hot shower. You know, I'm grateful that I have a roof over my head. You know, it was prayers like that. And I think there's something to be said that for that, it, it pulls you out of the ditch that you're, that you're in. Um, I also believe there's a lesson to learn with every single trail that we climb. It's really difficult. And, um, it's okay to be selfish at, at times and to just take on that self care and, really take care of yourself. Sometimes you have to remove yourself from society and from, <laughs> from your neighborhood and your friendships and your callings. And, and you just have to do some self-care and that's okay too. Wow. And I think that's a pretty yeah. good recipe for resilience. Yeah. And sometimes we see that as weakness yeah. and, and it's ridiculous. You know, we, we get to the point where we're, we're near breaking and then we take time for ourselves and we we guilt ourselves for that. Do, do you think that's like, Heidi, do you think that's more of like even stronger in Latter-day Saint culture that we that we kind of have a guilt complex about taking time for ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's always um, always say yes. Right. Say yes to everything. Say yes to every service. Say yes to <laughs> every calling. Say, you know, regardless of you will be blessed no matter what. So just say yes. And so. Yeah, that's a little bit against kind of what we've heard growing up. Yeah. And um it'll break you. I mean, yeah. Ken, you were a bishop for many years. Uh, from what I recall, it was about 25 years. Um that's correct. <laughs> I got released, but I just kept showing up anyway and serving. <laughs> Ken, you are not invited to bishopric meeting anymore. But Fine. you know, with with very specific set of, you know, uh, problems going on being a bishop in Las Vegas. Um, which I, I still am picturing that you were part of the Hera's fourth ward, uh, but, <laughs> yes. um, but, uh, you know, you, you saw people, you know, did you, did you have to step in sometimes and tell people, Hey, take it easy. You're going to break. Like, did you see that or did you allow people to be more self-regulating on that front? No, I, I mean, there were definitely times where I felt like it was appropriate to step in and. I would often refer to that scripture, you know, in the Book of Mormon, of not running faster than you have strength. And I thought this isn't uh, this isn't just a suggestion. If if you're if you're trying to keep up more than you can, then you are. It's a disservice. Everybody's affected by that, mm. right? And so, um, yeah, you need to. You you have this much energy. I'm holding up my fingers to show everybody, <laughs> and <laughs> and and you're gonna decide where that goes, and. Um, and sometimes if you're trying to do everything, then nothing is moving forward, right? You're just, uh, and you, you suffer, I think. So. Yeah. I think we can do a better job of teaching that face plants are in the plan of salvation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's part of it. Yeah. yeah. It, it's all part of it. And I think what happens is, is we find ourselves in a face plant. And so we lay there in the mud and you do a couple of things. You either say, okay, who saw that, <laughs> right? <laughs> I hope nobody saw that, right? Yeah. You just pretend it didn't happen. Or um, or you try too quickly to get up, which can have another set of problems. And I think what we should do is we should lay face down in the mud for a little while and feel that. Yeah, I like that. That is beautiful. Wow, that yeah. is really strong. And then at some point when we're ready, we find the strength to get on our knees and to 
ask Heavenly Father for help. And we realize we need the atonement to get through this one. Mm. Um, I love your New Year's resolution, by the way, Sean, of the atonement. And um, and I think at that point, we find when we find the strength to stand up out of that mud puddle and take a step forward, it's a beautiful thing. We've got a new gift. Yeah, we've discovered a weakness, which has now turned into maybe a gift that we didn't realize we had. And we now have perspective and we have empathy to reach out and make a difference and touch the lives of others. I have seen that time and time again in the stories that I write of people's lives. It's an absolute true principle. And I think we could do better at um, understanding in the gospel that face plants are a part. They're a big part and they're a necessary part of our development and our growth. I don't know that we should put it into the church marketing program. Uh, come face plant <laughs> with us <laughs> because it's right. It's not something we want, but when no. we look back, that's how I got my strength Yeah, was by failing and falling and falling down and getting back up in all facets of Church and one one of the things I there's a, a podcast that I really like that's not nothing to do with the church, but they had a psychologist on and he was talking about how the part of the mental health crisis we are seeing is how protected kids are right now, and that that everything is is in some ways too easy that they can access so much information at their fingertips. They can contact anybody any anytime they want it. They can press a button and food gets brought to them. I mean, they'll practically open the door and feed them at that point. You know, like <laughs> everything is so at their fingertips in a way that never has been. And this this therapist was basically saying, and then they hit a little bit of a snag. And it's like, I I, you know, Hey, Snapchat needs to fix this for me. You know, yeah. hey, yeah. Uber, send over somebody to fix my life for me, you know? <laughs> and it's when they find things that that technology can't solve. And then so many parents, you know, we went through so much as 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 kids, like, holy cow, my you know, we didn't have cell phones growing up. And right. <laughs> and so we're grateful that our kids do. So we want to protect them. And so many parents protect thinking I'm going to protect my kids, but they need to go through some things like that is part of the plan. The face plant is part of what we do. Um, yeah. I, I think, and you asked about teaching children resilience. I think maybe a way of doing that is you let them face plant when it's smaller stakes, right? When they're younger and it's not going to, it's not going to alter the course of their life, but it's okay to face plant because this was it wasn't high stakes and and yeah. by allowing that to happen when they're younger than as they get older it's um not such a surprise when they land on their face and they can learn to pick themselves back up yeah i mean even in, think about sports think about you know little league or i don't know soccer my kids were in the soccer world we don't we don't let them take score in some of those younger years <laughs> we don't allow the score to be done right you don't talk about it <laughs> the kids know. The kids know if they won the game and they know if they lost the game. Let them acknowledge that, you know. Yeah, let them go through it. My I, first yeah. my first year of soccer when I was 6 years old, our team didn't score a single goal the whole <laughs> the whole year, much less win a game. Um 
that explains. I still remember. I still remember it. Forty-five years later, <laughs> and look at what good it did for you, Ken. Yeah, I yeah, rarely a, throw a fit when I don't get my way. Rarely. <laughs> we had a son who played uh, who played soccer one year, and none of our kids were particularly amazing athletes, or just weren't that into it. They were much more into sports like uh, rock climbing, hiking, you know, running, things like that. But we tried to put him into team sports, and one of our sons, we had uh, he had what we called the six foot buffer from the soccer ball. That wherever the soccer ball was, he was six feet away from it, so he'd run with it six feet behind it. Then someone would stop it; he would stop six feet behind it. Then if they kicked it forward, he would run six feet away from it, just always with that six foot window. And, and you know, he didn't want to finish the season. And that was really hard, you know. He he did not like it. It was obvious from game one, and we had him stick with it. And sometimes I look back and go, "Was that valuable?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> we were trying to teach a lesson. Um, one of our listeners, Mike Cannell, says resilience is something discovered or acquired through a difficult experience. You would likely not choose the untimely yeah. passing of a loved one, losing a job, things not turning out as planned in parenting or marriage. I've learned the hard way on many occasions, but learning to be patient and accepting of things that don't go according to plan has helped me develop resilience. Well, you sure love it when you look back on it, right? It sure sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it really does. But then you end up. And one of the things I love about resilience that I really do is it trains you, right? Like it's a great trainer. Once you've been through some things, you you can kind of. You know, this this might sound like a funny example, but I always laugh about how the pioneers must look at us. Like they've got to be looking at us like, oh my <laughs> gosh, if you complain about anything, you know, I mean, the stories that we hear about the pioneers on the trail and anyone with but, penicillin uh, or microwaves cannot complain. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but we were called to do Trek uh, about eight years ago. And this was the worst thing that, I mean, I had to evaluate my membership in the church. Like, I do I, should I, I could go completely. And I actually, I told our bishopric member, no, I said, I'm not that guy, not a chance. I can't be a Marapa. You know, I, unless there are Marriott's all the way along the trail, I cannot do this. And he said, yeah, you'll be great. And I said, no, I'm, I'm saying no to it. And he goes, all right, we're having a meeting next Tuesday. He just would not. Except no. And then my wife, who's big into camping, you know, she was excited. We went hardest thing. It was it was hard as heck. Like it was really difficult and like the best, the best experience. Fast forward to this past summer, they asked us to do, to do the uh, food for Trek. I could not have been more excited. Like these things train you. And sometimes it's, you know, just resilience. I knew how hard it was going to be. It had prepped me going once, going through it once. But then there were other leaders who were going, I don't know if I can do it. And I was able to say, hey, you can do it. And here's why, you know, yeah. do you guys find you gain strength from people who have been through the trials you may be going through now? Heidi, have you have you seen that? Do you look to people who have been through things that you may be going through? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I look I look for examples in my life of. Of um of people who I know have encountered, and it doesn't even need to be the exact same thing that I'm going through, but they can it can be someone who's been through I, what I know is a really hard life, and I can look at them and say, okay, I I, I want a piece of that, 
you know, I think if I can just be a little bit like that, if I can have that attitude, if I can have that courage, if I can cling to my faith like they did, I can get through my own stuff. And so that that does make a difference. And I think a really necessary transition for all of us that is so important is to go from why me to what now. Mm, yeah, I love that. The why me's are tough, right? <laughs> that's generally when the problem emerges, <laughs> the crisis in your life, when, when it shows its ugly head, you, you immediately go to why me. And it takes a little while. And then at some point we say, all right, all right, it's time to grow up. And what now? What am I going to do now? What am I learning? And that's a really important transition from a really bleak, dark, very dismal existence and attitude to something that's resilient, where you you know that you have the ability to climb out of that ditch, or at least to stay afloat and keep kicking, that your yeah. legs are kicking and you're not going to just fold up and sink, right? Yeah. And sometimes you think that's impossible. I, I remember when when my brother passed away. I lost a brother who was forty five, and uh, died overnight with of a heart attack. We had no idea this was coming. Just boom, out of the blue. I suddenly didn't have a brother. And I remember at the funeral, uh, two friends of mine from high school who had lost two siblings. Uh, they showed up to the funeral, and their hug gave me so much strength. And they said, welcome to the club you never wanted to join. We're here. Mm. And I remember thinking, okay, they're here. They, this happened to them years ago. There is a path. And I think that's somewhat why we have scripture, why we have the Savior, why we have accounts from pioneers, is yeah. to say, okay, they've all made it through this. People have figured out. Um, one of our listeners, uh, Lewis, who Lewis is actually uh, just an amazing soul. Lewis is actually my son's partner. Um, they live up in uh, Washington. And Lewis is counselor, says this is an interest of mine in counseling. One of my favorite concepts about resilience comes from Bill O'Hanlon. I don't know who Bill O'Hanlon is, but this is really brilliant. He says resilience is a combination of compassion, contribution, and connection. This concept is supported by other research as well where close relationships, feeling a sense of purpose, and being able to tell your story and have it received compassionately leads people to be able to overcome anything. And I hadn't thought about that connection part of resilience, that sometimes you need those hands to lift you up. You need people. And by the way, this is classic of Lewis. Lewis is like brilliant, like very, very smart and uh, working on an advanced degree right now. But I like that part of it. The 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 connection to other people is what allows us to be resilient. And uh, you know, I think there's something to be said for just letting people know I'm there. Yeah. I'm there. I you know, I I I'm, I'm here for you. I think that helps people to find that resilience to be able to stand back up when they've face planted. Does that make sense? Yeah, and we need to we need to reach out. It needs to be on our part too, right? When when we're down in the ditch, we've got to lift a hand to take the one that's that's thrown down to us to, to give yeah. us a little bit of a nudge out of that ditch. And so it works both ways. 
Yeah. There's something powerful about that connection. And sometimes we don't know what to do when somebody's really struggling. Yeah. I, I know sometimes I just get uncomfortable and I don't want to reach out. Um, back to when my brother passed, one of my best friends that afternoon showed up. He had a case of Diet Coke, a plant and a watermelon. <laughs> and he showed up at my door and gosh, I I don't want to get it, uh, emotional on the podcast, but he showed up at my door and I opened up the door and saw him and he brought it over. He set it down on the counter and we sat down and I said, so, so, uh, you know, Diet Coke and a, a watermelon and a plant. <laughs> and he said, and I'll never forget this. He said, Sean, I didn't know what to do, but I had to do something. And I was just so grateful that he thought, you know what? I'm, yeah, he knows that I, I drink Diet Coke. Great. It was July. So a watermelon and maybe a plant might make me feel better. Like these three random things. And they really did. I struggle with that. I struggle with being the one to reach out. I want to go reach out a month and a half later and go, how are you doing now? We're doing better because I <laughs> I don't want to get uncomfortable here. Tell me the happy ending. Yeah, right. I mean, it's easier to be a part of that. Ken, you were in the trenches as a bishop. I mean, that did that help uh, yeah. you develop some skills in your own resilience? Oh, I, I think so. I hope so. You know, I, I mean, I've shared a little bit with you, Sean, um, about this, but right after I got released was when we moved up to Utah and, um, and that move required a job transition. So I came up here. I did not have a job. I had a business, a side business in Vegas that had gone under. So I had the debt of a failed business. I had to short sell my house because we'd bought it in 2005 and sold it in 2012 Perfect. Uh, yeah. Perfect timing, Ken. It was amazing. By the way, you can buy Ken's real estate book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How to win in the game of real it's estate. It's just one page. It says, don't do it. <laughs> so, um, and it was 10 years ago at this time. So we, we moved up, no job, significant debt, loss of a house. Tons of kids. We had, yeah, I had seven kids. And then, uh, um, a friend of ours, a young woman who had, had been her bishop, and she called and said, I'm putting in my mission papers. I can't go back home. Can I come live with your family until I leave on my mission? So then we were, we housed her and we're paying to get her off on a mission. And then Katie got pregnant with our eighth child. All while it felt like the roof was just caving in. I remember just feeling like I was drowning just drowning and i thought i don't know how to i don't know how to get out of this and uh and we went to the temple katie and i went to the temple and i remember there was this man in front of me and did i tell you this story sean no no i've never heard the story this man so this man was in front of me and uh and he was moving very slowly uh with a walker and just kind of painful. I could tell it was hard to breathe. And um, a temple worker motioned to me like, oh, are you here with this man to help him? And I just, you know, I shook my head like, no, but I didn't see anybody else there. So I put my hand on his back and he kind of turned and I saw he was younger than me. Mm. And uh, I think he probably had cerebral palsy. Was, and I said, uh, do you need any help? And he just started laughing, he just smiled and said, oh, <laughs> I need every kind of help. 
It was so it was so disarming. And I felt so ashamed to be whining about my and I, and I heard a voice that told me it's your trials are a moment. Mm-hmm. Endure it, endure it well. Wow. And it kind of changed my perspective. Um, but, and, and it was only maybe another week after that. And I found a job and things kind of, it actually took a while to climb out of that pit, but, but we did. And I just, uh, to your, to your earlier point, I relied so much on the people around me, beginning with my wife, but the people that just show up and, um, they don't know what to do either, but I, I'm a collector of people. I'm a collector of friendships, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I and it really paid off at that time. People just showed up, uh, supportive words of encouragement, even just with a confidence that things were going to be okay. Yeah, and um, and that was a hard. But I, I guess I look back at that and think I, I sure came away with that with uh, an increase in resilience because I. Like you said, well, what else was I going to do? <laughs> of course, I'm going to keep moving forward. Do I do I have another choice? <laughs> well, you know, but there is. And the other choice is, hey, guys, I'm out of here. Yeah. And people take that route, you know. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. hey, hey, Katie, good luck with the eighth pregnancy. <laughs> hey, seven kids, <laughs> seven kids, if you need me, uh, you know, I'm stepping out. You know, people do. Yeah. And people, people yeah, I, well. Uh, that's, and a lot of that does come from from loss. As a bishop, I saw people who lost a spouse or lost a child or lost a mother or a father. And um, and you do have that, well, how, how, how do you go from here? That would just, my heart just would break for them. But uh, there was faith. Uh, there were people, uh, you know, around who, who loved them and uh, and you would see them make it through that. And that was always inspiring. Uh, going back to he- why Heidi writes these books is I'm just inspired by people who, who, uh, who keep moving forward. Yeah. I, I recently have been really inspired by people. I, I think I was unjustly critical of people going through faith crises for a long time. I think I had, and, and that was about me, not them, that I was just judgmental. Like, you know, uh, you know, a faith crisis is just an excuse. Get over it. You know, whatever. The resilience of people who go through faith crises openly, I now really, really respect. And especially it took the past four years I've been working with YSAs. I went from our ward YSA specialist to high council over YSA for two years to now a YSA bishopric. I think the Lord's trying to teach me something <laughs> uh, as I enter my fifth year working with YSAs. But I watch them, you know, and I I see them say, I am going through a faith crisis. And they're much more open about it than our generation ever was. You know, you didn't want to talk about that kind of thing, but they'll say that. Then I see them show up to church the following Sunday. Talk about an amazing example of resilience. You know, you're going through a faith crisis and you're here. Not you're going through a faith crisis, but you're here. And you're here. (laughs) You are working through that. That, to me, is such a powerful example of resilience. I, Heidi, do you ever do you ever have, and, and I, I say this, I ask you this because I do this. Do you ever sometimes hear people talk about their trials and go, you go, that's not a trial. Yeah. Like, because oh. I could handle, because I could handle that, yeah. especially with my kids. 
when they'll complain about something. Oh, come or on. even just com- even just compared to other stories you've heard, right? Like Heidi, oh, you've sure. heard these harrowing ones. So you're oh, like, right. well, let's put up a spreadsheet here and compare your trial <laughs> yeah, to somebody else, and let's see how resilient. It's hideous that we do that, that we compare, but that's right? it's what we do because it's what we know, right? Yeah. What we think we know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's no less real. I mean, don't you think, Heidi, it's important that we, I feel like it's really important that we meet people where they are and recognize that their trials are just as real as mine are, are just as real as Joseph Smith's were, as the pioneers were, yeah. as the prophets are. You know, the because we have tools that we could deal with it makes it no less real than, you know. Mm-hmm. to our uh, and i'm think i keep thinking especially of my children some of the things they complain about i go oh for pete's sake but at the same time <laughs> i did that when i was their age do you find the same thing happening sometimes heidi or at my i guess what i'm asking is am i a terrible human being because i feel like a terrible <laughs> human being it's okay if i am it depends what day you ask me that sure. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, really. I mean, we all, right? We just, we jump through this and we try, we look at others and we judge ourselves against them. And that's, that's a, that's a frightening path to, to go on is to, to do that. I prefer, um, you know, if I meet a really grumpy cashier at the grocery store, I, I try to say to myself, instead of what is the matter with you, I try to say to myself, what has happened to you? Mm. Wow. That yeah. is super powerful. It's it's not as judgmental. And what has happened to you? Yeah, it's wow. compassion, I hope, in that. And it helps me to not hate them and want to grab their throat, right? <laughs> <laughs> and instead, I think to myself, what what happened to you today or this year? That's such a kinder. Mm-hmm. And it kind of diffuses immediately, right? Like yeah. you yeah. feel that compassion rise up in you because yeah. certainly if you were, <laughs> if you were centered and grounded, you wouldn't be acting like yeah. this. So something is. Yeah. Happening. Instead of what's wrong with you, what's happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we are all the products largely of the things that we've been through, you know, yeah. and the things. And then that can twist it. Once you really think about what people have been through you go from, oh my gosh, why are you acting this way to, oh my gosh, how are you even functioning? You know, like yeah. how, how did you wow. even show up to work? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in, I'm, I'm in awe of you. Right. Yeah. And I think from your examples that, that you both told what I heard and what I've heard. And so I'm at many other stories is in, in the midst of that really difficult, dark climb where you think, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. It seems that there's always some little glimmer of hope that finds itself in your path. You know, like, mm-hmm. like, um, can that, that man at the temple, you know, that you met that day? I mean, that just, that didn't solve your problem, right? It didn't pay your mortgage. It didn't give you a new job. It, those things are, critically important in our progression and they're so seemingly insignificant but they are so important and they can change our entire way of thinking from that point on it can really rewire us a little bit Mm. towards that resilience 
I'm I'm actually learning a lot from this. There have been a lot of wonderful moments. Uh, the one thing I've found that works super well is when my wife is going through something difficult, me telling her to get over it. That <laughs> is a home run, I will tell you. Because I know she goes into contemplation mode because she won't speak to me for a week. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> She's really taken to heart what you said. Yeah, how, she must really implement be. <laughs> Sean's wise insight. <laughs> she must really be pondering me telling her to get over it. Yeah, it's hard because, you know, there's always that balance. I mean, obviously, I'm joking. I've learned after 28 years of marriage not to tell yeah. my wife to get over anything. But um, but there is that balance, right, of letting somebody go through things while being there and not stepping in and not saying, I'm going to fix this for you. You know, but but I'm there for you, and right. I'm here to help. I kind of want to tell you what to do right now because that's what we do as men; we're fixers. But uh, sometimes, it's, it's well, that's hard, what we right? do as parents too, right? When our kids come to us with a problem, we want to fix it instead of sort of taking the counselor position of listening to them and maybe only suggesting things if they ask us, to, especially adult children. Oh, if they ask us for our advice, you know, in other yeah. words, we nudge, but we cannot, like when they were four, we cannot tell them what to do or it's going to backfire. Yeah. Boy, that makes it rough. I mean, it really does because you want to, especially <laughs> when you know, you know, like I've had kids who have gone through, you know, the extreme financial stress of needing a hundred dollars, you know, where I can go. All right, you know, let me just get my wallet out and, yeah. you know, here, like I can, when I can fix things easily, it's <laughs> hard not to sometimes, <laughs> but you're really not building resilience that way. Um, one of our listeners, Steve Smith said, uh, AKA grit. Yeah, I love that I like. word. I love that word. You know, we went to the, the, uh, when they were still the Mormon Tabernacle Choir before they became the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. Um, we went to Music and the Spoken Word. And that was actually the theme for that Sunday was grit. Oh, I love and I was that. like, that's yeah. fascinating. What does grit mean to you? And tell us why you love it, Heidi. It's it's digging deep. It's digging deeper than you thought you were ever capable of doing. That's where the grit is. It's way deep inside of your soul. Yeah. It, it makes me think of, and maybe it's because of true grit. It makes me think of old <laughs> cowboys had grit. Like, you know, like there's something about a like my grandfather, uh, you know, he he worked with his hands. He did construction. He was a massive mountain of a man. And, uh, you know, in the 1950s and 60s, to me, he was grit. You know, he wouldn't put up yeah. with nonsense. He would, you know, if something needed to be done, you just put your head down and get to work and you do it. You know, that to me is that form of grit. I don't think I'm gritty. I, <laughs> I would not consider myself to have grit. I just, you know, I don't, I want it. I think I want it, but yeah, yeah it's hard I, well, to I think that I think that conjures up like a physical strength when you think of grit, but I, I really do. I like how you said it, Heidi, digging deep. It feels like you're kind of summoning every ounce of strength, even if that's emotional strength to deal with, or maybe especially if it's emotional strength to deal with what's in front of you, what's yeah. right in front of you and is going to demand yeah. everything you have. So right, it is active not react. <laughs> As I've started thinking about this, I've kind of come to the realization 
that to help people become resilient, you can't tell them to be resilient. Like you have to, you have to do everything short of telling them. Like you really can't. When when has it ever worked to tell someone buck up? Right after, right after, right yeah, right after you tell them to get over it, and that's yeah. just get over it, get over and it, and show some resilience. <laughs> right. I mean, low. I'm really thinking. About I'll pack it. my things about... now. <laughs> You're not going to have many friends if that's the way you. <laughs> Vanessa, buck up, get over it. And uh, hey, Ken, uh, can I come stay on your couch? <laughs> on your couch. <laughs> that girl left on a mission, right? You yeah, she's got room There's room, yeah, You got extra yeah, room right. for me? <laughs> yes. But if Katie found out that I said that, she'd never let me stay there. But, <laughs> yeah, right? but, I, mean, you, but I think sometimes we fall into that trap where we want to tell people, bounce back. Hey, this isn't deal a big deal. This. Yeah. And, and it has that ever worked in the history of anything like to tell somebody to be resilient? Like I can't, I don't think that can, I don't think that can be a strategy. Can it Heidi? Am I wrong on that? That's never dawned on me before, but it suddenly kind of hit me just now. Yeah. That's a true statement. That yeah. doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. work. You can, it's sort of a lead a horse to water. Like you can talk about, you know, and it's back to, it's back to what we talked about a few weeks ago. That it, I don't know if I shared if I shared the actual story that got me to thinking about the atonement, but you know, a friend of mine had called and uh, a dear, dear friend, and he's actually a bishop right now, called me about his child and they were having major things going on and it was just super heavy on him. And I did not know what to say. And I think that if I had said, you know, you're just going to have to be resilient. You're just going to have to stand up. That would not have worked. He would have hung up on me, rightfully so, because that's terrible advice. Like, yeah, duh, but how and help and whatever. And the only thing I could think of was, so how does the atonement apply to this? And man, it changed everything. I mean, yeah. it really did. And I think that there's, we don't lean on, and I shouldn't say we, I do not lean on the atonement enough. I just don't. I want to get, I feel like I, maybe even caused whatever problem I'm going through. And I need to get to the other side so that I can continue to take advantage of the atonement and be on the yeah. Lord's path. I can like qualify the, for the atonement once I, yes. <laughs> yeah. once I take care of this. Yeah. I need to get through this, especially if I feel like I dug the hole and Ken, you had shared much of what you shared earlier with me, you know, before about, about your business and that time in your life. And when you you know, you shared with me that you felt like, oh my gosh, I did this. Yeah. And when I've felt I did this, oh, so I can't lean on the atonement. I have to be resilient by myself. But you would never tell someone else that, right? These are the lies yeah. we tell ourselves. Like you would never, like Heidi, you would never say to somebody else, well, get through this so that you can take advantage of the atonement, right? <laughs> We're so unkind to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, why is that? Why is it so much easier to love others and to counsel them and to share the love of the like I see our YSAs and I just want to just melt all over them about how much God loves them. And then I get home mm -hmm. and go, eh, I don't know about me, but he sure <laughs> loves them. You know, it's it it makes it harder, right? Yeah, there's we we hold ourselves to a higher standard for some reason. The expectation, like we we feel like we should know better. I don't know. It's it's a complicated. We need a PhD here uh, in psychology to explain to us why <laughs> we do that because I haven't figured that out yet. Yeah, 
It's a tricky thing. And I think we need to give ourselves a lot more grace. I just yeah. think that that's, and, and back to, you know, what Lewis said, that connection, mm-hmm. we need to seek that out because I don't know about you guys, but one thing that I don't know why at age 50, I still try this, but I feel like when I hit a trial, I tend to retract. Yeah. I don't want to see people. I don't want to be around. I want to go into this cocoon to try to work it out so I can come out of my shell. I don't want to, and part of it, I think, is pride that I don't want to tell people I'm going through something difficult. I don't want them to know. I don't want them to help. I don't want them to be involved. Go away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll come back to you when things are good. Yeah. Do you guys ever get that? Yeah. I feel like I don't want to, I don't want to, I know you're looking for some sort of, uh, I don't have a happy update for you. So don't ask me for one. I'm still in the trenches here going through this. And it's just going to be a disappointment to you if I tell you that I'm struggling. Right. So, (laughs) yeah, there's something in there where it's like, yeah, it's hard to tell people that we're going through stuff. Yeah. But the I think that the more that we do, have you, but this is what's so bizarre, even at our ages, it's hard because have you ever had a bad response from telling people that you're going through something difficult? <laughs> like it never happens. And yet we get to the next thing and we again, do not want to say to somebody, you know, uh, I had a friend who recently lost his daughter who was in her young twenties. And when I first saw him, we had talked on the phone a couple of times. When I first saw him, I was about to say, how are you doing? And I thought he lost his daughter a week ago. I know exactly how he's doing. And so not knowing what to say and being awkward, I said, I am dying to say, how are you doing to break the ice? But I am fighting that urge. But you look good. (laughs) You look nice. Like, I don't know what to say, but I think sometimes just... Just do it. Just get out there and just say something. And then that was, yeah. I think a safe one is, is to just say, I'm, I'm thinking about you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty safe. Yeah. Heidi, will you please write a book about things to think and say, like you said about 25 things that I have notes. (laughs) That my next book, Resilience, there's the title. Yeah. Your next book about things to think and say, or, you know, Maybe we write the counter books, like you write the second, I'll write the first half of all the idiot things you can say, <laughs> and then you can write the correction. Because really, I mean, well, it, Sean, when your when your is. brother passed, what 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 words, what did people say that was of most comfort to you? Yeah, you know what's funny? When my brother passed, anyone who would talk about how much they loved him meant the most to me. Mm. That was the most comforting thing. The most comforting thing. Like, I'm sorry for your loss is wonderful. Uh, We've been praying for you is wonderful. All those things are great. But when people who knew him, that's what meant the most to me was when people who would say, man, I'm going to miss him. Man, you know what? I was just, and then when people would share stories, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the thing, I'll tell you the thing that I've found that doesn't help. And I, I tend to want to go there, but the let me prove to you that I can relate, especially when they can't, my gosh, that is just bad. When someone's going through something difficult, that is the worst is, and I fight that because, and, and in fact, back to my friend who lost his daughter, I wanted to share something with him about what happened when I lost my brother. And I said, 
Before I tell you this, I need to preface it with saying that losing a brother is not even in the same solar system as losing a child. My parents went through what you went through. But even then, my brother was 45. He had 23 more years than I'm not saying that I can relate to you in any way, shape, or form, but I will tell you something that was helpful in my grief. I had a hard time when people would, you know, and it, it's hard. Well, it's like, you know, I mean, listen, how many of us had our first kid and we were, you know, looking like zombies and struggling and like just life was the hardest. And we laugh now, one kid, that that was the hardest thing in the world. And then someone would go, oh, my gosh, I totally understand. We just got a puppy. <laughs> like, oh, my my thoughts and prayers are with you. <laughs> then you know exactly what I'm going through. Yeah. A puppy. Yeah, that's exactly like a child we just birthed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Don't so make that, it about yourself. Make it about keep it. Keep it about them. Yeah. yeah. Keep it about them. And while, when all mm-hmm. else fails, keep it about the savior. Yeah, you know, and and there were people who would just say, "My gosh, I know that God loved your brother so much, and I know God loves you, and I know I know He's with you, I know." And then the other thing I loved was, "How can we help? What can we do?" And and usually my answer was nothing, but it was just so nice that people would mm-hmm. would say that, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was, well, Ken, you just lost your father. Has it been two I, years now? Yeah, it'll be it'll be four years in April. Oh, yeah. Was it four years already? Yeah. Oh my that. gosh, that went by really fast. And I and I'm like you. Or I'll, I'll tell you the the experience that stands out to me was our mutual friend Lisa Clark, yeah, whose husband whose husband was literally dying of ALS at that time. Yeah, and my dad died, and she, she showed up at my house. Wow, and brought dinner. And I said, Lisa, I'm not going to sit here and complain to you about losing my yeah. dad. And she had the grace to say, I haven't lost a parent. I don't know what you're feeling. Go ahead mm-hmm. and share, share it with me. Mm-hmm. While her husband was actively dying at home. And I thought, this is an example to me of the character of Christ where you show up and you you allow that person to have their, their grief and you just sit there and I don't know. I loved it when people just showed up and said, I'm so sorry. We love you. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, you can't go wrong with either right. of those. You know? Right, right. I'm I'm losing my dad to Alzheimer's right now. He's probably just got months to live. Mm-hmm. And I'm so sorry. We love you, Heidi. Thank you. We're yeah. yeah, we're we're losing him a piece at a time, right? A memory at a time, a day at a time. Oh, that has got to yeah. be so difficult. And, and you're right. Like the people that just reach out and tell me those who know my dad or yeah, it just it's just you know simple statements like that, just simple, lovely comments they don't need to be long and explicit and profound and it's it can be just really strengthening and helping me have resilience through this this new journey that i've never taken before and that goes back to that statement of compassion and connection create resilience yeah that, you know if you were alone in one of these pits and one of these holes if you were if you really felt by yourself Mm-hmm. You know, but when we go through something difficult and when there's somebody else there that's willing to lift us up one step and then knowing the the Savior and the atonement are there for the final step, that really is the, the key to resolve. Gosh, see, and yeah, I came into this tonight thinking about, I need to muscle through me, big man, me resilient. 
<laughs> yeah. make fire and make everything <laughs> right, you know, <laughs> cook meat over fire. Yeah. <laughs> But it's true. No, the resilience really comes from connection and compassion and from the atonement and from grace. Boy, this is a much bigger topic than I, no one, no one who knows me is surprised that I didn't understand this before. I'm not exactly (laughs) the brightest bulb, but there's a lot that's coming to me through all this. So it is just awesome. I've got a, I've got a pretty large social media following and I've been posting some things about my dad on there. And, you know, there are some that, that will say to me, really, that's so private, you know, and I, but I feel like part of my resilience in trying to get through this really difficult time is I'm looking for connection. Yeah. Right. And, and to put, I I just want to be vulnerable and just put it out there. Yeah. Um, Because as soon as I go into the why me and I'm the only one going through this, um, I'm in trouble. That's a dark place to be. And so when I when I put it out there and I talk about my struggles with it, and I, you know, today he didn't remember my name and you know, things like that. Um someone else is gonna reach out that's been there, guaranteed mm-hmm. every time. And so I just think it's important that we that we reach out. This this idea of perfection needs to go away. And of, you know, that we all look perfect and that our lives are perfect with white picket fences. Um, that's, that's not in the plan. That's really not. And so. Yeah. And I think conversely, there's someone reading your posts who is going through it in silence, who feels like I can't share that. And I don't know about you guys. I mean, I was raised, I was raised as, you know, you don't talk about these things. We Mm -hmm. don't, we don't. You know, I mean, it was what? What's the movie where they whisper everything? Oh, uh, my big fat Greek wedding was that where it was? But they'd whisper, you know. Oh, did you hear about Dottie? She has cancer. You know? <laughs> but that's you know that was you know we have family members who have been through addiction, and I remember very specifically other family members saying, "No one needs to know about this. We can't talk about it." Yeah. And I remember you know one of my siblings who went through addiction and rehab saying, "You tell everyone." Mm-hmm. You 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 tell everyone I need to be strength for others, but I need people to know what I'm going through, and I think that that's what helps the resi- resilience. It's what builds us up. Um, Satan, it's funny how Satan operates because he'll tell us, you know, that all hope is lost. You know, we're 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 hopeless, and oh, oh my gosh! And if you tell someone what you're going through, they're going to think you're weird. They're going to think you're right you're strange and you're horrible and all these things. And then you tell someone and then Satan goes, ah, oh, shoot. Yeah. I was making all that up. Sorry. You're yeah. you win. Yeah. The minute you bring stuff out into the open. And I think that's where resilience starts. I mean, I think it really is. Can you imagine going what, what some previous generations must have suffered through? Terrible. All the secrets, just terrible. Mm-hmm. Really coming home from war and, some of the things they went through and not be not talking about it, you know? Yeah. 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 Those movies yeah. make me really sad when I watch some of those movies of those boys that came home and mom and dad didn't talk about it with the neighbors or any, right. They didn't want anyone to know. And he's having flashbacks back in his bedroom that those are so hard for me to watch. That's just so, so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, right. that, that connection leads us to compassion. It's, yeah. There's a direct 
connection between both of those things in, in those three words that your friend had put up on this on social media, connection, contribution, compassion. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had never thought, again, I always think of, I always think of uh, resilience as something internal, something I need to be resilient. Look at me. Yeah. I'm resilient. I'm going to get through this. <laughs> and I did Don't it all wor- by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't worry about this one, God. I got it. <laughs> There's a recipe for success. That has always worked well. So here's the goal. Here's hey, the goal take a break, God. For all of us. I think the goal is that when we go to church this Sunday, let's let's picture everyone's head above water sitting in the pews, but let's picture their let's imagine their legs are all kicking underneath them, holding themselves above water, right? I, Everyone is buoyant. They're practicing buoyancy. And what what better place to practice, right, than to try to feel closer to the Savior? I mean, that we're all just doing our best. I'm I, going to use that in a talk at some point, Heidi. I'm sorry to steal it. I will give <laughs> no. you full credit. But that it's is one Webster. of the most. Brother Webster had it in his dictionary. <laughs> no, but the way you put it, that all we see is the floating heads. We yeah. don't see the treading water. We don't yeah. see all the paddling that's going on. Yeah. Yeah, that's really powerful. We all are resilient. Really, yeah. we all are resilient, and we learn we learn that principle, uh, and we get stronger with it the older we grow. And Ken, I'm just I'm just impressed, Ken, that you have not taken an opportunity yet to mention that you used to live in Hawaii because I would be <laughs> broadcasting that to everybody. You know, when I lived in Hawaii, I learned a lot about being buoyant. <laughs> you know, that I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say because you've asked about service as a bishop. I can, one thing that I took away from that calling, well, many, many things, but one of the things I took away was if you're looking out at someone and something seems off, it is. Mm-hmm. And, and they're desperately kicking under that water. Yeah. And, and so it's a chance to just approach them and let them know that you are aware of them. Um, you know, you don't need to dig right away until right. you just say, but check yeah. in on them. Check on in Sunday, them. on Sunday, I saw someone and there was something slightly off. And I said to him, it seems like you're carrying a heavy burden today. Are you doing okay? Yeah. And he turned to me and said, nope, carrying something super heavy right now and unloaded everything. Like told me everything that was going on. And I went, wow. Okay. That was taking the gum out of the dam and the whole dam yeah. know, breaking. <laughs> and I was so grateful that I did. And I think we need to act on those impulses because, again, I think he got some strength out of our conversation mm-hmm. where I was able to, you know, listen. And I did not tell him to just buck up and get over it. <laughs> um, but Vanessa I was did. just listening. <laughs> Vanessa said, how come you didn't tell him to buck up? <laughs> um, but I was I was able to listen and create connection with him and just help him along the journey. And sometimes that's all it is, is it's just points along that journey. Yeah. I couldn't carry it for him. I couldn't really do anything for him. But and, I listened. You probably didn't solve it for him either, Sean. But you just opened your mouth. You just showed up. Yeah, and that's, that can be so significant to people that are in the struggle. And I think it gave him some energy to persevere and have resilience for the next few hours. And sometimes that's all it is. Sometimes it's just we need that little, that little uh, five-hour energy. It's the five-hour energy of resilience that we get from people to just get through the day. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that someone knows us and somebody cares. And uh, that connection of resilience and connection and compassion is is powerful. Yeah, it's really strong. Well, this has just been a phenomenal discussion. My gosh, did we get the right person on Heidi? You are amazing. You know that I'm the uh, super Heidi fan club person. Like I said, I, I have will a send whole... you my new book, Sean, so you can add it to the Heidi Tucker bookshelf. I I have I love the Heidi Tucker bookshelf. I I had Heidi on multiple times on Latter Day Lives. And uh, you were always a fan favorite. So we really appreciate it. People now are going, wow, Heidi is so amazing. I got to go check out her website. Tell us the name of your web address because it's adorable. HeidiTucker.com. Easy to get there. So HeidiTucker.com will take you there. But originally, it was the pickled sunflower. Yeah. Right? Pickledsunflower.com. They both go to the same place. Yes. I just think there's something about a pickled sunflower that's just adorable and wonderful. (laughs) So Heidi, you are great. As a Heidi Tucker novice, I'm coming in. I'm coming in new here, fresh. Is The Secret Keepers the best book to start with? Heidi, you could you could answer that one. I for me I know Sean, you can endorse that one. So I thought for me, the secret keepers. Yeah. You may want to start with Survey, but I I think that the secret keepers, I was just so absolutely fascinated by the secret keepers. Yeah. But I think, you know what? Each one will speak to different Each one people is, is differently. Really different. Yeah. Start yeah. with the recent Bridge of Miracles. That's my okay. most recent. Start there. Yeah. That is a good place to start. And again, I highly recommend for our entire listening audience, Ken's book, which is, <laughs> we'll have you laughing and crying both. It is just a series of essays. It's easy reading, and Ken is just a brilliant, brilliant writer. So you guys are thank both you, so Sean. amazing. Heidi, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll be excited for your next book, and we will definitely have to have you on. And I'm not kidding when I say I'm going to be laying in bed pondering a lot of this tonight because, man, there was a lot that came out tonight that I, I would have never. something, really. This was great. Yeah, really phenomenal. Ken, great to be with you again, my friend. You as well, and great and, to meet you, Heidi. Yeah. And to our audience, thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, nothing helps us more than a five-star review. And if you know someone who would enjoy this content and could benefit from it, if you'd share it with them, that would just be phenomenal. And so until next time, we hope you're doing well. Stay resilient. Have that grit. Just get over it. Buck up. No, don't do that. (laughs) Make connections. Have compassion. And we'll see you next time on the Sharing Time Podcast.